Welcome to Bushball, a podcast for baseball junkies. Um, our focus, as always, will be on the the people, the places, and what I believe to be the purity of the minor league baseball system. Um, recently, we've been focusing on the state of the minors and MLB's unwillingness to continue with the minor league system um, as we know it. So the final outcome is mostly hammered out. Um, with MLB sending out affiliation invitations to 120 minor league teams, which means that 40 minor league teams, clubs, will be left out in the cold. And so we, in previous episodes, talked about what that means to those communities and the impact that, that the reduction in teams can have, both positively and negatively, on um, the players and the system of the minor leagues. So, um, as usual, we will have our Legends of the Minor segment profile, and today we'll cap off our episode um, with our Minor League Team of the Day. So, let's get into it. Um, Our player profile uh, today was so fast, according to, well, I'll tell you who it's according to in a minute. He was so fast, he could flip the light switch and be in bed under the covers before the lights go out. These are the words of the greatest pitcher of the 20s, 30s, and and 1940s. But this piece is not about the legendary Negro League pitcher Satchel Paige, who uh, was was credited with that quote. It's about his, his road roommate. His road roommate was James Thomas, cool Papa Bell, who by most baseball historians was the fastest man to ever play the game of baseball. Another Satchel Page story um, talks about how when he was pitching in a Negro Leagues game um, in the 1930s, he, uh, in his words, one time he had a line drive right past my ear. I turned around and saw the ball hit his rear end as he slid into second. Most baseball enthusiasts, you know, don't think of the Negro Leagues as minor league baseball at all. Uh, no one else during that era thought that either, other than, of course, the all-white Major League Baseball organization and its segregationist commissioner of 25 years, Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis. And as you know, this podcast is dedicated to the other leagues around professional baseball. And the seven Negro League Major Leagues, as they were called in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, definitely fit that criteria. Uh, Just to provide a little context, um, we all know that African-American baseball players were not allowed to play in the MLB until Jackie Robinson and the Brooklyn Dodgers broke the color barrier in 1947. But aside from baseball enthusiasts, little attention has been paid to the 3,400 men who for almost 30 years maintained a level of play that at a minimum was equal to that of the MLB and at best was quite frankly superior um and the mlb players knew it and i think they were threatened by it and i think the league was threatened by it 
And so Cool Papa Bell joined the St. Louis Stars of the Negro Leagues, the Negro National League, as a pitcher, actually, in 1922. He earned his nickname um, in his first league season. Uh, he was referred to as Cool after striking out a standout player by the name of Oscar Charleston and added Papa to the nickname because it sounded better. At first, Bell only made occasional appearances in the outfield. By 1924, at the urging of his manager, Bell began working on his defensive skills and appearing more often in the outfield. Bell ultimately um, gave up pitching altogether and found himself roaming the fields of center, roaming center field for a number of the Negro League teams, as well as some teams in the Mexican leagues. Um, but he ultimately made that move and stopped pitching altogether. Uh, Bell batted right-handed and threw left-handed. Um, his transition to the outfield was by learning to bat as a switch hitter. So many um, historians consider Cool Papa Bell to be one of the greatest switch hitters in baseball history. And then with his speed, it became even more problematic for opponents because um, batting left-handed uh, gave him a few steps closer to first base. And so um, a lot of times players would, he, he just made people nervous because he was so fast. Any little um, hiccup, bobble on the infield, and Bell was going to beat it out. Uh, he has a clocked time around the bases of 12 seconds, which would qualify him as being the fastest baseball player in history. Pitchers tried to avoid issuing walks to Bell, obviously. Um, he was often able to steal both second and third base and scoring a run on the next play. Uh, Bell could also sometimes score a run even if he was on first base and the batter got a base hit. Um, there's a lot of interview footage of Cool Papa Bell, which is great for learning about him. Um, Bell described a style of play on the occasions when the Negro League players faced white teams in exhibitions. He's quoted, we played a different kind of baseball than the white teams. We played tricky baseball. We did things that didn't they didn't expect. We'd bunt and run in the first inning. Then when they would come in for a bunt, we'd hit away. We always crossed them up. We'd run the bases hard and make the fielders throw uh, too quick and make wild throws. We'd fake a steal home and rattle the pitcher into a box. Such was the style and the skill of the Negro National League. Um, so one of the uh, greatest members of the Negro National League teams um, were the Pittsburgh Crawfords and the Homestead Grays, who uh, Bell both played for. One in particular year in 1936, there were seven future Hall of Famers um, in a Homestead Grays lineup. And that included Bell, of course, Oscar Charleston, Bill Foster, the great Josh Gibson, Judy Johnson, of course, the legendary Satchel Paige, and Judd Wilson. Um, and so, as we said, Bell being that switch hitter and a contact hitter with big, really great back control and bunting ability and speed, uh, he could take an extra base or two um, at any time during the ball game. So as we said, he played some seasons in the Mexican leagues. Um, he uh, played 21 seasons of winter ball in Cuba and in California as well. Um, he became the first player manager of the Negro Leagues. Um, later, he was a scout in the early 1950s. After 
After Bell's playing career and managing days were over, Bell lived in an old red brick apartment in St. Louis. Um, he worked as a scout for the St. Louis Browns for four years, and then he served as a security officer and custodian at the St. Louis City Hall until 1970. Bell was inducted into the baseball, rightfully so, into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1974. Um, in 1999, Bell was ranked 60, 66th on the Sporting's list, new, list of baseball's greatest players. Uh, one of five players so honored who all played most of their careers in the Negro Leagues. Um, he was also recently named to the All-Century team. Um, he, in addition, is the subject of the song Cool Papa Bell by Paul Simon, um, which is a great tune. Um, I listened to it and I didn't even know it existed, but it was, it was, uh, paid homage to, to, uh, cool Papa Bell. So cool Papa Bell, um, I was, have always been intrigued by him just because I, I just liked his game. Everything that I heard growing up and as I got older about cool Papa Bell's game, and I liked his humility. Um, he's a very humble fella. Uh, usually, you know, you see those those fast guys and guys who, who, who are running the bases and making things happen. Sometimes they're a little cocky. Um, I didn't get that from, from Bell. And he just always seemed to be a very humble um, and uh, obviously an, a, a legendary player. So that's cool, Papa Bell. Uh, again, H Hall of Fame inductee. Um, fastest man to ever play the game and uh played all of his career in the negro leagues never got the opportunity to play in the major leagues and when asked about that um, it didn't it didn't bother him he he just didn't think it was an option you know it was the time that they lived in of course he would have liked to have played in the major leagues because he knew that they were just as talented because they would play a lot of these white teams in exhibitions and quite frankly uh they would beat them on many occasions and so they knew that they could play with them they knew that they could compete so we're going to move into our second segment which coincidentally involves cool papa bell and the legends of the negro leagues so last week, uh, Major League Baseball announced that it was classifying the seven Negro major leagues as major leagues. And so basically what they're going to do is they're going to start recognizing the statistics uh, and, and the 3,400 players who played from 1920 to 1948. Uh, so some of the most heralded records in MLB history are being reevaluated and the books are open. And to be quite frank, rightfully so. Um, these players, if you love baseball and you uh, are a purist, you want to the greatest players to be recognized. And you want their statistics to be noted. Uh, and where Cool Papa Bell figures in all this, only time will tell. But it's right and long overdue that the greatest players, whether right, black, or brown, are recognized. It makes the game better. And in a minuscule way, rights the wrong with our game's history. So MLB is opening up the books, as we said, and it started off with, um, it's, it's a focus on highlighting the contributions of the pioneers who played from 1920 to 1948. It all got kicked off with a message from MLB's commissioner, um, Rob Manfred, 
And Manfred said, all of us who love baseball have long known that the Negro Leagues produced many of our game's best players, innovations and triumphs against a backdrop of injustice. MLB Commissioner Ron Madford said, we are now grateful to count the players of the Negro Leagues where they belong as major leaguers within the official historical record. So this brings up a lot of questions and, uh, you know, you're going to have people who are, who are going to be on both sides of the fence on this because MLB, are they going to adjust its record books in accordance with the altered designation for the Negro leagues? Um, I think they should. Why not? Uh, you know, these players were competing at the highest level. Uh, and now they're being recognized as competing at the highest level. Um, maybe those records should be, you know, maybe we should take a look at those and maybe they should be altered. This isn't a new thing. I know we're in an era of social justice and trying to right some wrongs from, from the past. But uh, the Negro Leagues were denied status as a major league in 1968 following the ruling from MLB's Special Baseball Records Committee. Of course, the all-white voting board um, gave five other leagues major league status, though those leagues' uh, level of play was far lower than that of the Negro Leagues. And so this, they, we've been down this road before, um, as you know, a long time ago, nearly 53 years ago in 1968. Um, however, uh, the MLB began reconsidering changing the Negro League's classification Earlier in 2020, as the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Negro Leagues coincided with sweeping societal protests of racial injustice. So there's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, I don't think anybody would ever deny the fact that um, the Negro Leagues were at a high level, um, as high a level as there is in baseball. Um, various researchers and historians have diligently logged and tracked the nearly three decades of Negro League stats previously ignored by MLB. Um, and many many of the league stats, if you're really interested in, in taking a look at it, they are um, on the website baseballreference.com. Uh, you can actually thumb through some of those some of those great records of the past. And so you know to, to end this segment, I really do believe that that MLB is doing the right thing. I think that the Negro Leagues of the 20s, 30s, and 40s um, were just as competitive and talented as um, the MLB teams of that era. And we're talking about some great, great players, the Babe Ruths and the Lou Gehrig's and the Joe DiMaggio's and and the uh, the great players, Ty Cobb's of, of the world. And so uh, that's saying a lot. But when you look at the record and you consider the entire narrative, the only conclusion you can come to is that the um, Negro Leagues of the 20s, 30s, and 40s uh, were filled with legends, filled with superstars who, um, if they had the opportunity to play in the MLB, um, every household would, would know who they are. Um, and so... This leads us into our final segment for today um, as we wrap up uh, what I think is a historic week with MLB recognizing the Negro Leagues. Let's go ahead and make one of those old teams uh, our minor league team of the week. They also have a fantastic name, 
and they have a great history. Uh, so our team of the week is the Chattanooga Choo Choo's, and they were a minor league Negro League baseball team based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, the team was a member of the Negro Southern League, which was considered a minor league for the duration of the of the Choo Choo's affiliation. And they fielded a team from 1940 until 1946. Um, the team is noted as the first professional organization for which Hall of Famer Willie Mays played for. Wow. But say, hey, kid. And so during the summers of 1945 and 1946, while Mace was just completing his ninth and 10th grade school years, his father would drive him to Chattanooga to play professional baseball uh, for the Chattanooga Choo Choo's. Um, the Ch Chattanooga also had the Lookouts, which they still have today. Um, a Class AA ball club uh, was the last stop for rising athletes bound for the majors. And Mays must have known at this time that it was a chance for him to maybe draw some big league attention while he was still in high school. So Willie and his father would drive from Fairfield to Chattanooga uh, many times during the summers of 45 and 46. May's freshman, sophomore years in high school, um, he would take the field, uh, potentially playing in front of big league scouts um, who were looking to uh, recruit him for the lookout. So he's just a young man of me, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, and he's getting a chance to play professional baseball. Um, there was one caveat to all this. His mother was adamant that he finish his, his education. And it got to be so heated that his his mom and dad actually divorced over it. And uh, Willie, being the, the, the gentleman that he is, honored his mother's wishes and finished high school. And then um, he did wind up playing professional baseball, of course, and the rest is history. Uh, but he never did sign a contract with the Choo Choo's while he was in high school. Um, although their manager is the one who said, yes, I discovered Willie Mays. I saw him. Uh, go get some hard hit balls and saw him get rid of them. I even, um, he was a natural ball player is what Shepard, his coach said, a great ball player. I said to myself right then, get this boy on your choo-choo and you've got it made. He's the best. So, uh, great job, Willie Mays. Uh, now the choo-choos didn't last too much longer after Willie. Um, they basically, Shepard, who owned the team, went broke. Um, he had a payroll of $3,300 per month, and he knew it was too expensive to maintain the team. Um, you know, also kind of going through World War, um, I know that he had this team during the Great Depression, which made it challenging uh, as well. Um, but uh, that is our team of the week. And that concludes our show for this week. Thank you for joining. If you liked uh, this episode or previous episodes, please subscribe and you will have access to future episodes. Have a great day, everybody. And when you get a chance, remember, go see a minor league baseball game.